Well, happy Easter, everyone. Man, y'all look good today. So good to be in the house of God, isn't it? Man, it's so good, man. I, I tell you, if you're a guest, if you're someone who doesn't go to church very often and you're thinking, man, this doesn't feel like church that I know of. See, we just happen to be a little excited because we believe that God keeps his promises. We believe that because Jesus got up from the grave, that we have reason to celebrate. We've got reason to have hope. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you could be facing, where you feel like it is hopeless, there, if there's one thing you need to know from the story of Easter, it is there is always hope as long as Jesus Christ is around. Amen. And uh, I, I got a message for you today this Easter that I, I will, I pray will encourage you. Well, maybe build your faith, or if you don't have faith today and you came in today feeling like, I, I just don't have any, I believe before you leave here today that you're going to walk out the store different than the way you came in. Amen. Would you all bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to come together, and we come to celebrate the fact that your son Jesus came, died, and rose again to give us life. And so God, I pray right now that you would enable me to say the very words that you want me to say. I pray God for every person. Lord, those who, who come on a regular basis, those who haven't been in church in a long time, those who maybe have never set foot inside of a church, that God, today that you would do something so undeniable that God, it would, it would reach us to the very furthest depths inside of us. God, we are thankful that we have reason to celebrate. We pray that, God, you are here, that you speak to us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, come on, can we give them praise one more time? Hey, listen. Listen, would you all do me a favor? We're one church that meets in two locations. Would you help me just to welcome everyone at our Lancaster campus? Lancaster, will you make some noise this Easter? Everyone tuning in online. Happy Easter. We're excited to have you. We got a packed house today. Hey, do me a favor. Before you grab your seat, I want you to fist bump at least three people and tell them he ain't in there. Remind them. He ain't in there. Go ahead. Remind them. He ain't in there. Amen. Well, welcome. Happy Easter. You guys look so good. This is me dressed up for Easter. This is dressed up as I get, unless I'm doing a funeral or a wedding. This is it. We're very casual around here. Welcome to Easter at the X. You know, sometimes I think people kind of wonder, like, what's up with the name? And I know we changed our name this year. And it's like, you know, we've had some people kind of say, it just seems like, I don't know, weird, a church of the X. Like, what, what does that mean? I feel like it's almost like X'd out. I and mean, you know what we say to that? We say, yeah, kind of. We're a church for the people that feel like they've been excluded from society and culture. We're a church of people that feel like maybe you've been excommunicated before from another church because you didn't wear the right clothes. You didn't say the right thing. You had some tattoos or some piercings. Hey, listen, we just say, you are in the right place today. That's what church here at the X is all about. And I want to welcome you. My name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's, it's just an honor for me to be able to greet you, especially if you're new, if you've never been to church here before. It's just, to me, it means a lot that you would take time from your Easter Sunday to come and to visit one of our campuses today. And um, here, here's the thing about Easter. You know, I think sometimes... Like a holiday, we consider it a holiday. 
you know, it falls on the calendar, and, and it's a time when there's so many fun cultural things that we do at Easter time, like we do at many of the holidays. You know, we, we, maybe for you, Easter is kind of more of a spring holiday. It's more of a time when you kind of, you know, take the kids out to an egg hunt. We have those. They're great, you know, to get pictures of them where you give them baskets with candy in it. And, and we celebrate all of that. And that's great. That's great. But I would hope that maybe for you that Easter would maybe mean a little bit more than that. The reason why there's so many here that are so excited is because we actually believe there's a deeper significance to Easter than just all those fun cultural things. And there's nothing wrong with those. There really isn't. But sometimes, listen, I found a holiday can kind of come and go and we could just celebrate it like everybody else does without even knowing the real meaning. Like, like we see that happen in a lot of different ca- uh, holidays on the calendar. Think about like St. Patrick's Day. Like, most people have no idea who St. Patrick was. But it doesn't matter. We dress up, we wear green, we people go out and drink. I mean, that's what happens, right? I just, I just want you to know, like, I, I don't want you to kind of come and then, and then leave and not know the story of Easter because I don't, I don't know if everyone knows the story behind Easter. See, the story of Easter really begins with a man named Jesus. It doesn't start with Easter, Bunny. It starts with a guy named Jesus who walked on this earth a couple thousand years ago. And and listen, the reason why so many of us are so excited and why we say we believe in him is not because of what he said. It's not even because of how he died. But it's what happened to him a few days after he died is why we get so excited and why we believe in who Jesus is. And I understand, like some of you might come and and you you might go, yeah, I, I love Easter and I love the tradition and maybe you even go to church. But when it comes to that part of the story, a dead man coming back to life. Maybe for some of you, you go, man, I just can't get there. Maybe for some of you, you're like, I-, I love everything about Easter, but when it comes to that, I just kind of, you know, I have to suspend my belief. I got to just put it aside. We'll do all the fun stuff, but I-, I just don't know that I can go there. Listen, if that's you today, I just want to say it's okay. Do you realize that most of Jesus' disciples, his followers, did not even believe that he rose from the dead when they were first told? That's why you understand that. It's like you're in good company. Most of them didn't. In fact, one of them that I want to share, his narrative, there's a guy who was one of the closest friends that Jesus had while he walked on this earth, and his name was John. And John actually took some time to to dictate, to transcribe the events that took place, what we celebrate on Easter. And I wanted you to hear what John said. Now listen, if you're someone who goes, "Ah, just the Bible, I just think that they were making that up and they just wanted to kind of keep this myth going because they really believed in him, but he died. And, and, And if that's you today, here's what I want you to understand. I want you to listen. If the case was that they just wanted to kind of perpetrate a myth, the way they told the narrative is not how you do it. Just so you understand, that's not how you do it. In fact, the way they tell the story makes them look really bad. It makes them look like they did not believe. So if you're kind of trying to perpetrate this lie, that's kind of not the way you do it. In fact, let me me read to you a little bit of this account. It's found in John chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. I want to read that, and we'll put the the words up on the screen in case you don't have a Bible. It says, uh, early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Now, let me just pause because I always want to make sure everybody knows that that other disciple is John, the guy writing this. And so it's kind of this humble brag. It's kind of like, hey, I don't like to, you know, 
tell everybody how much Jesus loved me. Like, the, you know, I was his favorite. And so when you see him right, he's like the one whom Jesus loved. He's actually talking about himself, all right? And here's what he said. He said that this woman, Mary, she said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb. Now get this. Mary, one of his followers, did not believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. She saw an empty tomb, but she had not believed in that moment. Mary, she said, they've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Somebody moved the body. That's what they said. Verse 3 says, Peter, and this is John, the other disciple, started out for the tomb. Now, verse 4 might be my favorite verse in all of the gospel accounts of the story of Easter. And I'm not sure of its relevance, but it is so good. John's writing this. He says, they were both, this is Peter and John, they were both running. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I, it has zero significance to the story. John's like, I just want you to know I'm faster. I love it. Like, why'd you put that in there? He just, again, I think he had some problems with humility. Verse 5 says that this is John. He stooped and he looked in and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived. John would want me to reread that part. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. And he also noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first, here it is again. This guy is obsessed with how fast he ran. <laughs> then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, says, and he saw and he believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures had said Jesus must rise from the dead. Now, verse 10, this is a verse that grabbed my attention. I, I normally would skip over this. But this small little verse, I think, has so much significance for us today. It says, then they went home. Just like that. They just turned and went home. I, I found that, that fact kind of interesting to me. Um, I try to put myself in the place of Peter and John and, and all of the disciples who, who had heard Jesus say before he was killed, they're going to kill me, but I'm going to come back. The, the, the first Terminator. He said, I'll be back. He did. He told them that. Over and over, he said, I'm going to be back. And, and, and then they hear Mary comes running that she says, the tomb is empty. And they've got to run for themselves because they don't believe her. By the way, um, if you were going to tell this story, this narrative, the last thing you would do is have it begin on the credibility of women. Not, not because women can't be trusted, but in a misogynistic culture like it was in ancient times, women's uh, voice had no credibility. They couldn't even be considered credible as a witness in a court of law. So again, if, if you were making this up, they're getting it all wrong. All wrong. And, and so Mary comes to tell them it's empty. And they run there because they don't believe her and they see an empty tomb. And I'm thinking, man, after all you've seen and heard Jesus do, every single miracle, man, wouldn't you leave, I'm like, wouldn't you be so excited that you're thinking, we got to go find him? Wouldn't you kind of put out an APB? Come on, we got to find him. We're going to send out search parties. We're going to go to his favorite eating places. We're going to do whatever we can. We're going to tell everybody, like, oh my gosh, he said he was coming back and the tomb is empty. But that's not what they did. John tells us that after seeing all that, they just went 
home. He turned around and just went home. I thought to myself, that seems like an odd reaction to something so significant when you are so close to the story. They just, they just went home. And you know one of my greatest fears, if I could be honest with you about this? One of my greatest fears is that many of you would come here to this Easter, would you come to Lancaster this Easter, that many of you would come to a place like this that maybe you don't normally go, you haven't been in a long time, and you would feel something. Like you say, I, I don't know what it is, but I, f- I feel something there. That, that many of you would come and you would feel something. You would come and you would, you would see something. You would see people who are showing you love and people that don't even know you. But man, for some reason that they're so welcoming that you would come to a place like this and you would hear a message like this. That you would hear how much God has done in my life and other people's lives. My, my fear is that you could come to a place like this and you could feel all that. You could hear all that. You could experience all that. And then you could just walk out of here and go home as if nothing ever happened. And the reason why I fear that is because we've gotten so good at doing that in our culture today. We've gotten so good at like going to church. Maybe you go regularly, maybe you don't. Maybe you go at Easter time. Maybe you go every once in a while. We've gotten so good at going into environments like this where something speaks to us. Something we weren't expecting kind of hit us or something kind of challenged us. And, 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 and we, instead of like responding to it, we just, we just turn around and we go back home like nothing ever happened. And you know why we do that? Well, here's what I found that we often do. We, we tend to retreat to what is familiar rather than have to live with some faith. That's what we do. We, we would rather go to a place that is familiar rather than having to believe something that might take a little bit of faith to do something that might take a little boldness or a little faith. And so we retreat to what is familiar, and this is what the disciples do. They see the most amazing thing. And it says that they just went Home. I thought to myself, why, why do they go home? Because home is safe. Home is familiar. That's the way we feel when we go home. Home is that, that sanctuary. Home is that, that place where, you know, we, where we feel comfortable enough and we can. Here, here's here's the, the danger in that. Here's what I've discovered. Is that sometimes we're so comfortable with the familiar that we could actually miss something big that God wants to do in our lives. We can miss it. There have been times, I look back at my life, there have been times when I've made some decisions that I almost missed something incredible because I would have rather been in what's familiar. Like I, I remember when I was in my 20s and I was working for the federal government and I had this job in accounting and it was a good job and it seemed like it had a promising kind of career path. And I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I was like, well, I'm doing pretty good here. And so I thought for a split second that I wanted to be an accountant. And I actually went and took a class, accounting one, at school. And I figured out real fast by the end of that course that there is no way on earth, in heaven or in hell, you would catch me as an accountant. Now listen, if you're an accountant, I'm not trying to, like, we need people like you, but my gosh, it takes a special kind of person that wants to play with numbers all day long, every day, and that was not me. And so I, I went on this journey, I was like, what am I going to do with my life? And, and I felt really, really inspired, I, I got super excited when, when I, I, I discovered what I wanted to do with my life at this time, and that was, I wanted to go into IT, 
I wanted to go into computers and networking. I was fascinated by it and the dynamic nature of it. So I started going to school. I started going to, to college for it. And while I was there in school, I met a guy who was a supervisor of an IT department for the state of Ohio. And this guy, he got to know me, and he said, hey, listen, I got a few openings in my department. I'd love for you to apply. I was like, all right. So I applied for it, went through the interview process. I didn't even qualify. You had to have more schooling, but he kind of got me past HR. He said, no, 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 I, this guy's good. He's really good. In fact, he knew I was better than him in the class. So he's like, he's good. And uh, I'm like John. Sometimes I do these humble brags that it's just, forgive me. And, um, and so, you know, I got through the whole process, and I remember he, he contacted me, and he said, hey, we want to offer you the job. And you'd think I'd be so excited. This is what I was going to school for. But I panicked. I freaked out in that moment. I said, uh, uh, thank you. Um, can, can I have a few days to think about it? And, and I wrestled with this. I really did. I wrestled with this. And I, I remember my pastor was close, and I said, can, can I talk to you? And so I'm telling my pastor, I'm like, this guy just offered me this job. I don't know what to do. He's like, well, well do you want to work in that area? I was like, yeah, that's, that's what I'm going to school for. He, he was like, um, does it pay better than what you're making now? Yeah, it pays a lot more. Are the benefits any good? He's like, they're better than where I'm working now. He was like, then why don't you take it? I don't know. I just, I was so afraid. Now listen, I'm serious. I remember panicked. I was freaking out. Why? Because it was unfamiliar. And I almost missed out an incredible career opportunity. Thank God that I didn't. Because I was afraid to do something that I didn't know the, the end result. And I have found that this happens a lot in our lives, that we're afraid because we'd rather stay in familiar places. And let me just tell you something. I look back at my life, and I will say this. The best decisions that I ever made in my life were when I made a decision into an unfamiliar space where I had to trust God, where I had to take a leap of faith. One of the best decisions I ever made, getting married. Amen? So all the spouses, and you're like, amen. Amen. So all the guys, you were supposed to be like, amen, preach it, pastor. That was unfamiliar territory for me. I'm making a commitment to my wife. I do for the rest of our lives. That is scary. It's unfamiliar. But listen, I, I look back today and go, oh, my gosh, that was one of the best decisions I ever made. Decision to start this church, it was scary. I'd never been a pastor before. Unfamiliar territory. And what, I, what I'm saying is that sometimes what we do is we retreat to what is familiar rather than having to live by faith. Let me just say something about the familiar. I want you to hear this. Just because something is familiar doesn't mean it's good for you. In fact, I would say that a lot of times the reason why our lives are so messed up is because we stay in familiar places rather than taking a step of faith. This is what we do. This is why maybe some of you keep going from bad dating relationship to bad dating relationship to bad one. Why? Because you keep going back to the same kind of person even though you know that they're not good for you. But it's familiar. It's safe. We, we would rather do that. That's why some of you are in a job situation that you absolutely hate and you complain about it all day long, but you refuse to go to school. You refuse to try to look for another job. Why do we do that? Because we'd rather stay in what's familiar than, than to step out and to try something new or believe something new or to trust God for something. And what we don't realize when we do that is that sometimes we can end up like the disciples is that we may end up locking ourselves into familiar places. This is what they did. I, I don't know if you know this part of the story, but right after Peter and John left the tomb, they went back home and they locked themselves in. John, John tells us of what happened. He says this in verse 19. He said, that Sunday evening, so all day had passed. 
The disciples were meeting behind what? Everybody say it. They were meeting behind locked doors. They went and locked themselves in. And I understand why. They said because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. They were afraid that maybe they'd come looking for them because the body was gone. They are afraid that maybe they're next. And so they're hiding out in their home, the safety in Jerusalem, freaking out, lock the doors. And then this is what happens. I love it. It says that suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. He said, boo. You know, Jesus is so nice. He's like, hey, peace be with you. Dude, if it were me, I would have scared them half to death. I'd be like, I just got up from death. I'm going to put you back in. Like, I would, have, I would have made them pee their pants. I'm just saying, here's cool. He doesn't even knock. He doesn't even, doesn't even bother with the locked door. He just, boom, shows up there. And he says, peace be with you, he said. Now, John's recording this. By the way, if you think this sounds so crazy and too far-fetched to be true, this isn't even necessary for John to tell us that Jesus rose from the dead. Again, why would he tell it like this? Because this is what happened. It says in verse 20, as Jesus spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Man, I just, I'm just picturing this. They're, they're, they're sitting in home, the safety of their house, the familiar places. They're afraid, and it says that they locked the doors. They locked the doors. You know what I've found out in life? Sometimes you need to lock the doors, right? Don't we know that? Come on, parents, moms and dads, don't you know sometimes you need to lock the door? Hello? <laughs> hey, man, that got awkward. Oh. When I was 14 years old, my family um, picked up and we moved to Germany. Yeah, Germany with the military. It was a huge culture shock, moving not, not just out of a different state, different country. And we were with the military and uh, when I got there, I enrolled in the American high school that they had there. And I got to be honest with you, I had never been to a public school until my sophomore year in high school. I, I grew up going to these private small Christian schools, and that was kind of the, just my world and how I'd grown up. And so this was so new. Talking about culture shock, not only a new country with the military base and going to a public school. I mean, it's a major culture shock. And so I, I really wanted to fit in. I mean, you know, I wanted some friends. That's kind of how I was. And, and so I, I knew that the best way for me to meet people was that I would play sports. I love playing sports. I had played basketball, you know. I played all these soccer, all these sports. And so here I was in high school, and I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try out for the basketball team. So I tried out for the basketball team, and I made, I made the team. And, uh, and then they came to all of us. They said, hey, listen, uh, before you can play, you need a sports physical. Now, now, just understand something. I had played sports before that, but I never needed a sports physical years and years ago in like junior high and especially at private Christian schools. They didn't care if you had a sports physical. Like today, you got to get one if you have an elementary kid going to do something, you know. And, and so I had to get the sports physical. And, uh, and so I, I remember going to this doctor's office. And I'm in there waiting. I'm super nervous. Doctor's offices make me nervous. And I'm sitting in there waiting, right? And if it's not bad enough, I'm nervous. Then in walks in the doctor. And um, if you ever had a sports physical, I mean, it can be kind of awkward. And what made this really awkward was that I had a female doctor that came in to do the exam. And I didn't know what to expect. I'd never had one before. And, and so she's, you know, checking my blood pressure and listening to my breath sounds and all that good stuff. And, and I think we're about done. And, and she says, hey, okay, I need you to stand up. And take your pants down. I'm like, say, what? No. 
Like, listen, we were around the military all the time, but I had never experienced a two-finger salute. You, you don't know what the two-finger salute is when you got to turn your head and cough? Guys know about that. I'd never experienced that before. And so uncomfortable, especially when you're like 14 years old and you're, your voice is cracking and changing and you're kind of growing up. And as soon as we got done with that embarrassing moment, uh, she, she handed me a cup and she said, I need you to give me a urine sample. And so I, I went into the only bathroom they had and I go into the bathroom, I close the door and I set the cup on the back of the toilet. And the problem was I was so nervous and scared that I couldn't pee. I mean, I needed to, but I couldn't. Like, I could not go. And so I got the cup that's sitting on there, and I unbuckle my pants, and I'm just standing there. I mean, like, for, it feels like five minutes, I can, and I cannot go. It's the most, you know, and, and, and it's all of a sudden, listen, something happened that made me realize that I, I should have locked the door. Because the door automatically swung open, and two of the prettiest girls from school <laughs> opened the door. I still remember their name, Courtney and Lindsay, sisters. They were so, and they opened the door. It was the most embarrassing moment of my life. And that's when I realized, sometimes you need to lock the door, hello? Sometimes you gotta lock the door. I mean, sometimes you lock the door at night because you want some security, you know, want protection. Sometimes you lock the door for privacy, right? Sometimes we need to lock the door. But I just wanted to ask you this, this Easter. Um, I just wonder if there's some of you, though, when it comes to this idea of faith, if maybe you haven't actually locked the door on God. I'm just asking. I, I wonder if maybe because some things that have happened to you in your life, maybe some experiences that you've had, Maybe you're here, but really what no one else can see around you is that inside that you actually kind of have lo this locked door when it comes to faith. And I find that sometimes what we do is we retreat to familiar places and we put a, a lock on the door so that nobody can get in. And we hide behind these locked doors. Like there's some of you, I bet, that are hiding behind this locked door of your mind. You're, you're that person that says, hey, listen, I can't figure God out. If I could figure out the whole thing, then I would believe. If I could rationalize how I, I've been told that this is this one narrative of, of how the world began, and then I've been told this in science, and I can't fit them together, and so I just, I refuse to go there. If I had more proof, then I would, and, and so, so maybe that's a locked door for you today. Maybe some of you, it's this locked door on your emotions because somebody hurt you. Some, somebody that was in authority, maybe, maybe even a father-type figure, maybe somebody that a spiritual authority that hurt you, that took advantage of you. Or, and so now it's really hard for you to kind of see God as a good father, and so you kind of lock this door. You're like, I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't let it in. Or maybe, maybe it's your conscience. I find that sometimes what we do is we, we have this voice in our minds that's constantly, you know, telling us, that, man, we you shouldn't do that. Hey, come on, don't go there. But what we do is we, we decide one time that, like, I, I want to live life on my terms. I don't want anybody telling me how I'm going to live my life. I'm going to do what I want to do. And so what we do is we learn how to shut it out. We put a lock on it. We're like, mm, no, no, I'm not going to listen to that. Or maybe, maybe it's a locked door in your heart. Maybe you're someone that, that, that was told your entire life that, um, that you're, you're kind of worthless that there's no, no one that really loves you. And so it's really hard for you to ever think that God could love you. 
You just can't receive it. You have a hard time giving it. That you, You've got a lock on it. Listen, can I tell you, if that's you today, my, my prayer for you is real specific. My prayer is that Jesus will just keep showing up in moments when you didn't expect. My prayer is you have these locks that Jesus just keeps showing up in your life. He's going to keep reminding you. You're going to be at work. You're going to be at school. You're going to be at home. And all of a sudden, you're just going to have a moment. What is that? I'm gonna, I believe that's Jesus trying to reveal himself to you. And I know that there's some of you that go, hey, that's great, Pastor. I, I, I hear all that. And, but, but you're the kind of person that, that would be like, you know, I, I need more than just hearing this message. I need more than that. Maybe for some of you to believe, to have faith, it's going to take a lot. If that's true, hey, listen, I just want you to know you're actually a lot closer to one of the disciples than you know. You know, you know that Sunday evening when they all gathered together in locked doors and then Jesus appeared? Did you know that all of the disciples were there except for one of them? Now, I'm not talking about Judas. That guy's already gone. They already scratched him off the list. Like, we're down to 11. There's another disciple that wasn't there that evening, and his name was Thomas. For whatever reason, we don't know. I mean, he may have been so disillusioned, so disappointed. He may have just said, I'm out. I'm done. But Thomas wasn't there that evening. Thomas missed it because he wasn't there. And you know what? We have labeled Thomas for 2,000 years because of one moment. You see, what Thomas did in that moment was later he saw the disciples who saw Jesus. And they came to him and they said, oh, my God, Thomas, I know the women came and told you. And I know other people. I'm telling you, we saw him. He showed up. You should have been here. And we saw the marks in his hands. I'm telling you, it's him. He's alive. And you know what Thomas said in that moment? Thomas said, unless I see it for myself, I will not believe. Because of that one moment, we've labeled him for the rest of his life. You all, you all know what we call him. We call him what? We call him Doubting Thomas. Seems a little unfair. Actually, all of them didn't really believe until they, until they saw him. You know what's really cool um, when I think about the story of Thomas and the fact that Thomas missed that moment because he wasn't in the room. You know what I want to say that I'm really excited about? The good news is today for you, you're not going to miss that moment because you're in the room. Because you're here today. See, Thomas missed it because he wasn't in the room. But here's what's so amazing about Jesus, the love and the grace of Jesus, is that even though Thomas missed it, Jesus came back around another time for him. Because John tells us the story goes on in verse 26. He tells us that eight days later, the disciples were together again. It says this time, ah, Thomas was with them. It says that the doors were what? Everybody say it. The doors were? Here they are, behind locked doors. By the way, when the women ran into the angels at the empty tomb, you can read about this in Matthew's account, Mark's account. What happened was the angel said, Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. Go and meet him there. I want to point something out. It's been an entire week plus since Jesus rose from the grave, and they're still behind locked doors in Jerusalem. They still didn't listen. And they're behind locked doors again, and all of a sudden it says, suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he looked at Thomas, and he said, Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand in the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. 
My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. And then verse 29 tells us what John said to Thomas, but I believe he said it for our benefit. He said, then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Here they are again, almost a, over a week later, still behind locked doors, still living in fear, still living in familiar spaces rather than trusting and believing what they've heard, still locked behind these doors so that nobody can get in. But do you know what I thought about this story, how interesting this is? I thought about locked doors. You know what I realized? I realized that locked doors do two things. Locked doors keep people from the outside from getting in. But guess what else locked doors do? They keep people on the inside from getting out. Sometimes we lock doors to keep things out that end up trapping us in. When my oldest daughter, Lauren, was about two or so years old, um, she hated to go to bed. You know how if you're a parent, you're, every kid gets to that, there's like they won't go to bed. And we would go put her in her crib, and, and I think she saw the crib like a jail. You know how it's got the bars on it? It's like a jail cell. And so we put her to bed, but she would get up, and she would you know, start crying, and we'd close the door. She'd scream, and she'd kick, and we'd have one of those baby monitors, and we'd hear her fussing and fussing. And then all of a sudden, I remember this one night, we just hear this loud thud. And it was her. She threw herself in her temper tantrum, threw herself over the edge of the crib, boom, landed on the floor. So we decided, all right, no crib. And we took her mattress pad, and we stuck it on the floor. And we would try every night to put her to sleep. And you know, you try to lay there and try to get him to sleep. And then you kind of try to crawl out of the room. And uh, we tried that several nights, but she would just pop back up, come right, open the door, and walk right out. She did that. She could do that. And uh, finally, we were just kind of, we were like, you have to go to bed, okay? We finally reached our, our limit. It was like, you're not coming. You're not going to sleep in bed with us. You're not going to do any of that. And so we did something that, listen, I just want to say right now, uh, it's too late to call child services. I don't know if this is good parenting or not. All right, I really don't know. But we took one of those child safety things. You know those plastic two-piece things that you put on the outside of the doorknob that parents, adults can't even get open? Where you squeeze it to get it open? We put that on the inside. We locked her in her room. We did. We put her to bed. We'd get out real fast and we shut the door. She would go ballistic. She would run to the door and the little fingers trying to get the doorknob and she cut and she'd be screaming and hollering. And we were like, we got to gut it out. And then she would fall on the floor screaming and her little fingers would come under the door like someone said, oh, get me out. It was the most gut-wrenching thing as a parent. I told my wife, I was like, I'm getting her. She was like, don't you dare. Like in that voice. Like, no. Eventually she... She would fall asleep, and in the morning we'd go, and we'd have to open the door, and her body's laying right in front of the door. Like, slide her out of the way. You know what I think sometimes we do is that some of us are really guarded toward God, and we lock the door, but what we don't realize is that sometimes the very doors that we lock turn into traps or prisons for us. And I just wonder if there's some of you here today that maybe feel like you're trapped in a prison, prison of doubt. I want to believe, but, but I just struggle to get there. A prison of a pattern where you just continually go back to the same familiar thing and it's destructive in your life. A prison of your past. I can't get away from what I've done and who I am. 
Well, listen, if that's you today, I just want to say I've got some really good Easter news for you today. The story of Easter tells us not only did Jesus come in through the locked doors, but I want you to hear this. Easter also proves that Jesus could get out of what they tried to lock him inside of. Do you know that on the early Sunday morning when, he went to, when they went to the graveside, that there was a stone door they had put in front of the tomb? And Matthew's account tells us that Pontius Pilate actually sealed all the way around the stone door so that no one could get in and no one inside could get out. But listen, if you know the story, like I know the story, here's the beautiful thing about it. They thought they locked him in and they trapped him in. And what they didn't realize is that when they put Jesus' lifeless body in the grave, they actually put him in there with the key so that he could get back out of the grave. You you don't understand what I'm saying. Listen, the cross was the key. The instrument of death that they thought would stamp it out, the very thing they thought would do them in, was the very thing that gave them power over death for your life and for my life. And that's why Revelation 1.18 says, Jesus said this, I am the living one. He said, I was dead and I'm alive now forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades in my hand, which means no matter what you're facing, no matter what prison you're in, no matter what you feel as you locked up today, I'm here to tell you that Jesus can set you free. There's someone who can set you free from the chains of addiction. There's someone that can set you free. Come on, if you receive that word, would you stand up to your feet today? Come on, both our campuses. I believe that God wants to set you free. I believe there's some of you have been living in a prison. You've struggled to believe, and I believe today that God wants to do something to set you free. Hey, listen, I want to say this. I believe not only did Jesus hold the keys of death and Hades in his hand, But I want to say this. I believe that Jesus is the key. I believe he's the key to finding freedom. I believe he's the key to finding purpose. He's the key to forgiveness. He's the key to hope. He's the key to peace. He's the key to new life. He's the key to knowing the Father. I'm telling you today that Jesus is the key. And if you want to be set free, if you want to find the freedom that comes with him, what you need to do is you need to by faith receive Jesus by faith you need to say set me free I believe chains are falling today I believe addictions can break today come on if you need a breakthrough in your life maybe it's time for you to say you know what God today I believe I take the lock off I declare God I want you in my life come on sing it with me
I believe His presence is an open door. Your presence is an open door. We want you, Lord, like never before. Your presence is an open door. So come now, Lord, like never before. Amen. Come on, do you receive that today? I believe that God is here. His presence is here. Would you bow your heads with me today? Would you just close your eyes at both our locations? Jesus said these words in Revelation 3.20. He said, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, he said, I will come in and eat with him and be with him and eat with me. Listen, this is the moment right now for some of you. It's time to say yes to Jesus. And you feel something, you sense something coming alive inside of you. Don't let familiar things, familiar places, familiar thoughts keep you from receiving the life that God has for you today. Jesus came and died a sinner's death on the cross for you and for me. He paid the penalty for all of the wrong things that we've done. But here's what you need to know, is that you gotta receive his forgiveness and the gift of salvation. You gotta receive it. You receive it by faith. I just believe that God is leading some of you right now. He's given you the faith to make that decision. Some of you maybe have walked away from God. It's been a long while since you've been in church. It's been a long time since you felt presence of God, but I'm here to tell you the presence of God is an open door to you right now. It's an invitation. If you're ready to kind of by faith make that decision today, I know it might be unfamiliar, but if you're ready, then I'm going to lead you in a prayer. If you would just say this prayer with me right where you are, say, Heavenly Father, today I, I receive your son Jesus as my Savior. I believe that he died on the cross for my sin and that you raised him to life so that I would know that he really is the Messiah, the Savior. And God, in that same way that you raised him to life, will you raise me to life today? Forgive me of my sin. I declare you the Lord of my life today. I surrender my life to you with the faith that I have. God, I'm saying yes to you today. Will you show me who you are and enable me to follow you for the rest of my life? Listen, as we're praying, I believe maybe many of you today, both here in Lancaster or even watching this online, that you just prayed that prayer with me. I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. This is, this is something physical that you do in response to the prayer that you just made internally. On the count of three, I'm going to ask if you prayed that prayer, all of you across the room, whatever, if that was you today, if you recommitted your life to Jesus today, I'm going to ask you on the count of three just to boldly stick your hand up in the air and hold it up and keep it up for a moment. We've got something that we'd love to put in your hand. Just a way to commemorate this moment, celebrate with you, and be able to pray for you. And so listen, I know sometimes we, we kind of get embarrassed around other people. I just, listen, I promise you everyone around you is going to be excited for you that you've come to faith in Christ today. 
And so if you are a new person, a new creation, you're not the same when you came in on the count of three. If you feel that, if that was a real moment for you, I'm going to ask you to boldly lift your hand up all across the rooms. Hold it up and keep it up. So if that's you, I want you to respond on the count of three. One, two, three. Lift your hand up if that's you. Come on. Hold it up. Praise God. There's hands going up here in Lithopolis all over here. Keep it up. Keep it up. Keep it up if that's you today. Hold it up high. Come on, Lancaster. Hold it up high until somebody gets to you. Keep your hand up high. Praise God. Anybody else over here in the middle? Back here in the middle, right behind. Come on, if that's you today. Come on, Lancaster, if that's you. If that's you online, click that link. Say, that's me. I lift my hand. To me, that's me. I, I, I'm a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Woo! Come on, church. Let's celebrate.